This is Ananin Kaike, and welcome to Voice of the Water Lily, an exploration of our ancestral music over the last 100 years intertwined with a historical and personal perspective. We will be exploring Latin music, more specifically salsa, Latin jazz, Cuban music, and Puerto Rican music. We are going to go deep into the history, learn about the seminal artists, as well as the artists that never received recognition, and we're going to add a personal touch through memories and anecdotes. Espero que disfruten mucho, con mucho, mucho cariño. Luis Muñoz Marín rose from being, in all estimations, one big failure, to being senator and later governor of Puerto Rico. It was quite a feat, but what he did with his newly acquired power was another story. Marín declared martial law to quell the 1950 nationalist uprisings. He had two towns in Puerto Rico bombed by P-47 Thunderbolt warplanes. He used carpetas to spy on and convict innocent people, only guilty of not supporting him. And he even enacted the 1948 gag law preventing Puerto Ricans from the crime of possessing their flag. But why would, the why would the first Puerto Rican elected governor of Puerto Rico, who had once demanded Puerto Rico's freedom, do this to his own people? Well, that's what we're going to discuss in today's show. But before we do that, let's get to a song from Pedro Ortiz Davila, better known as Davilita. Uh, this is a tune called Yo Tambien Soy Boricua. Enjoy. soy boricua, yo también soy patriota, y igual que mis hermanos con fibras de mi alma ansío libertad. Yo también soy boricua, e idolatro y venero, aquel jardín florido con sus verdes palmeras y su anturoso mar. Está de Dios que un día sea libre nuestra tierra Porque regar su suelo con sangre fraticida luchando un ideal Yo también soy boricua, yo también soy patriota Pero si he de mancharme con sangre de un hermano no quiero Oh, 
tierra de Borinque, tú eres mi amor. There we heard, yo también soy boricua from Davilita. Now let's get right into this. Luis Muñoz Marín was born on February 18, 1898 to Luis Muñoz Rivera and Amalia Marín Castilla. Uh, Muñoz Rivera was a prominent politician at the time, so much so that he'd been in Spain days before Luis' birth, presenting an autonomy plan for Puerto Rico, which was accepted by the Spanish government. However, just five months later, the United States would invade Puerto Rico, and um, Puerto Rico, of course, remains a a a colony to this day. Muñoz Rivera also uh, founded two newspapers, El Diario and uh, La Democracia. In 1901, El Diario's offices were vandalized and the family moved to Caguas, Puerto Rico, and later relocated to New York. They often traveled between Puerto Rico and New York, something Luis would do throughout his life. In 1904, they returned to Puerto Rico and Muñoz Rivera quickly founded the Union Party, which soon won the elections, with Rivera elected to the House of Delegates. Rivera also lobbied for large corporations working in Puerto Rico, all the while he did still claim to be an independista. Young Louis was enrolled in the William Penn Public School and quickly skipped grades because he spoke English. And he was actually a bright student at first, however, soon began failing tests. Coincidentally, at the same time, uh, Louis' father threw himself into politics and ma made no time for his family. In 1910, they moved again. Rivera moved to Washington, D.C. for his new job, resident commissioner, while Amalia and Louis moved to New York until Rivera insisted that Louis come to D.C. There he enrolled Louis in Georgetown Preparatory School. Um, and Louis continued his terrible trajectory, failing every single class except one and dropping out in 1914, moving back to New York with his mother. Meanwhile, Muñoz Rivera returned to Puerto Rico to campaign for re-election. During this time, Louis, uh, Louis spent his time frequenting these really seedy establishments in New York and developing what would become a lifelong opium addiction. Uh, and this fun, however, would be over soon when Muñoz Rivera forced him to return to Washington, D.C., retake his final exams, and enroll in a law program. Again, he passed just one class in the whole course. Soon after, Muñoz Rivera would return to the island and die at just 57 years old from a gallbladder infection and rupture. To make matters worse, he was really, really in debt, and even the newspapers were reeling. Muñoz Marín's Muñoz Rivera's associate, Eduardo Giorgetti, resurrected what was left as of El Diario and La Democracia and gave Amalia a house and a reasonable income from the newspapers. Uh, despite this, Louis returned to New York with his mother and refused to go to law school as per his father's last wishes. He also be became intrigued with Greenwich Village. Um, and the next few years of Louis's life can only be described as lunacy. Muñoz Marín wrote a play about a morphine addict that sold one ticket. He started three magazines that all failed. He got married and had two children with Muna Lee, who he routinely abandoned. He relied on his mother and wife for financial support and fell into a deep vortex of opium addiction. In an attempt to make money and support his habit, he started a, Gre a Greenwich Village tour and he would lead the group on a around the... the um, around the village, visiting businesses, and then he would drop them all off where it all started. Um, and from there, he would visit his favorite opium den and many times just spend all the money he had made on the tour that very night. Uh, he was also known to disappear for months on end. 
And so on one such occasion, he told Muna he was going to buy cigarettes and didn't come back for three months. Um, he also he also restarted this tour at another point with this really this guy that everyone really said was insane um, named Joe Gold. And however, even he tired of Louis antics and he said that he was too irresponsible. So, I mean, that really says something. Um, and in a search for a new way to make money, he returned to Puerto Rico, claiming that he was going to be compiling his father's writings into a book. He even raised five thousand dollars for the project. All the money promptly disappeared and no such book was ever produced. During this time, Muna was constantly sending him letters asking for financial help. Soon after this, his mother refused to give him any more money after he burned through the equivalent of $8,000 in two months. In 1927, he again abandoned his wife and kids and this, this time in Puerto Rico, he just left them there and he returned to Greenwich Village and there he got this brilliant new business idea. He wanted to turn San Juan into the next big tourist destination. However, this also failed, of course, because every single thing we can see, every single thing he started uh, just immediately failed. He also continued to spend all his money on opium, and now in a complete financial disaster, he moved back to Puerto Rico and moved himself, his wife, and Trojan into his mother's house, and there he spent his time growing opium poppies in the field behind her house. And during this time, Louis had this great realization, and it was that his father was still very much respected and admired on the island. And so what does Louis do? But he tries his, decides that he's going to try his hand at politics. We're going to get to another song. We're going to hear another one from Davidita. Here is um, Vámonos a Borinquen Bella. Enjoy. Estoy de mi tierra, la que el mundo mira con desdén, porque no tiene bandera. Bendito porque serán así, con nuestra patria y redenta. Nosotros los que nacimos allí, debemos de darnos cuenta que nadie nos quiere por aquí. Volvamos a Borinque en Bella Volvamos a Borinque en Bella, volvamos a Borinque en Bella, que nadie nos quiere por aquí. Te cierra, bendito larguémonos de aquí, volvamos a Borinque en Bella Jai. Volvamos a Borinque en Bella, volvamos a Borinque en Bella, que nadie lo quiere por aquí, volvamos a nuestra tierra. El sábado yo 
me fui a bailar a un baile de borinqueños Una danza fueron a tocar y toditos se opusieron Bendito vergüenza de velar que esto en Nueva York suceda No sé a dónde vamos a parar ni sentimiento nos queda Unámonos todos de verdad y volvamos a Borinque en Bella Volvamos a Borinque en Bella, volvamos a Borinque en Bella, que nadie nos quiere por aquí. Volvamos a nuestra tierra, volvamos a nuestra tierra, volvamos a nuestra tierra. So this, at this point, Louis has returned to Puerto Rico and he's decided since his father is still so loved and respected, he's going to try his hand at politics. After all, what did he have to lose at this point? He often, when he, when he was campaigning, he often made impassioned speeches about Puerto Rico's need for independence. And get this, he even went as far as to ride into these Hivaro villages on a donkey wearing a pava. He actually won the 1932 election where he ran against PNPR leader Pedro Abisu Campos. And Luis' popularity among Puerto Rico's impoverished Hibaro soared to an all-time high and he soon became the most popular and powerful politician in Puerto Rico. He had really seemingly resurrected himself from failure to senator. But this is when strange things started happening to Luis. Uh, U.S. Senator Milliard Tidings introduced a bill that would grant Puerto Rico's independence. And then Muñoz Marín does the unthinkable. He lobbied and, veto and voted against the bill. He was the only politician in Puerto Rico to do so. And get this, it didn't stop there. He traveled to Washington not just one, but two times to advocate against the bill that would have delivered his number one campaign promise. He even touted a U.S. government talking point. The island isn't ready for self-rule. Well, what was behind this, this, this strange and puzzling behavior? Well, carpetas... Um, were these secret police dossiers, and it was later discovered that the FBI had spied on over 100,000 Puerto Ricans for decades. And it turns out that the FBI also had a carpeta on Muñoz Marín. And so they had been investigating him for about three years before a, the, the, the report, a bombshell report was released in 1943. Before, the earlier reports had stated some of the following things. They said, he has no profession, he is absolutely financially irresponsible, never has money in his pockets, and never thinks of his responsibilities. He has not contributed to the support of Munali, his wife, or his two children. Um, he's a deadbeat philanderer. He has been a member of four different political parties during his political career. He is utterly unprincipled and has no ideals whatsoever. He was a heavy drinker who would go on protracted drunks from anywhere to two to three days to two to three weeks. These reports also stated he refused to eat unless his fo friends forced him to when he was on these protracted drunks, and he had been seen in public in a drunken condition. He was also known to sweep all the drinks off the table and was later so drunk he could scarcely walk. He also owed El Escambron $650, and he tried to settle the issue by claiming he would give them a tax deduction in the same amount. There was also an outstanding bill from El Condado for 300 and another one with RCA for 200 
And so these things were all things that they had uncovered in their investigations of him over the three years. But then the real, uh, the, the, the real information came on in 1943. Uh, on April 1st, 1943, a report was filed that stated that Munoz Marin was a narcotics addict. Something that had been rumored for a long time, but that he vehemently denied. And with this newfound information, uh, the FBI went in like vultures circling a corpse and they laid down the law. And they basically said, do what we say or we'll disgrace, disgrace you in front of the whole island and your political career will be over in a flash. The next day, uh, Munoz Marin uh, voted against Senator Tidings' bill, even though it contained the exact provisions that he had demanded in various articles he had publicized in La Democracia. In just three years, Munoz Marin would go from demanding independence to opposing it. And his behavior only got worse from there. Uh, Don Pedro Abizu Campos returned to Puerto Rico after serving a prison sentence in Atlanta on December 11, 1947. And Louis had a present for his old opponent. He had been working on getting Law 53 passed and speaking in support of it to the Puerto Rican Senate, and he was able to convince Governor Jesus T. Piñero to sign it. Law 53, El Ley de la Mordaza, made the possession of a Puerto Rican flag even inside your house, singing or whistling of La Borinquena or other patriotic or revolutionary songs, and any speech, article, or statement that was pro-independence or against the U.S. illegal. Saying que viva Puerto Rico libre was illegal, and groups of people coming together who supported independence was also illegal. Police could detain, stop, and harass people they suspected to be nationalists, um, and they even arrest people who had family members who were nationalists. Munoz Marin's corruption soared to new levels when he used the law to imprison people who didn't vote for him. And the penalty for breaking this law was a $10,000 fine or, and or more than 10 years in prison. And this allowed him to imprison thousands of nationalists or just people who didn't vote for him, who didn't support him with absolutely no due process. Some people were imprisoned for up to 20 years using this law. Uh, Nelson Dennis put it quite simply in his incredible book, War Against All Puerto Ricans. He says, quote, by 1948, Munoz Marin's transformation into U.S. puppet had been complete. The next year, 1949, Louis was rewarded for his obedience and became the first democratically elected governor of Puerto Rico. He also legally divorced Muna and married Inés Mendoza, who took over decorating La Fortaleza with expensive artworks and artifacts. Munoz also had a radio show, a printing press, and a newspaper. I must say, for, for him at that time, business was good, wasn't it? See, I mean, selling out really did pay well, didn't it? Though there was one little problem was that his drug and alcohol use was starting to show, and soon dark circles were permanent presence under his eyes. But other than that, life was good, at least for a little while. It was indeed pretty good for Louis until October 30th, 1950, when Raimundo Diaz Pacheco jumped out of a 1949 Plymouth and sprayed submachine gunfire into the second floor windows of La Fortaleza. Munoz Marin hid under his desk as, his desk as bullets rang through the governor's mansion and five members of the Puerto Rican Nationalist Party traded shots with police. Only one nationalist survived, 23 year old Gregorio Hernandez, who was somehow still alive after being shot 17 times. Munoz Marin at this point was infuriated. He had had enough. These, in his mind, these pesky nationalists had gone too far. And after making a few calls, he declared martial law and a reign of terror soon spread throughout the island. 
Just six blocks away from La Fortaleza, Pedro Abisu Campos' home was immediately under siege. Trapped inside with just three supporters, Abisu Campos did the only thing he could think of and built a wall of books against the windows. Suddenly, the staccato shots rang out and Doris Torresola was shot in the throat. Without medical attention, she would die, so Abisu told the remaining two nationalists to please take her outside so she could get medical attention. They were all promptly arrested. One young nationalist, Alvaro, was somehow able to make it up to Alvisu's apartment, and they stood there for two days, living off of two gallons of water and canned sardines. It all ended when the house was tear-gassed and Alvisu was dragged out unconscious. Munoz Marin's retaliation got even more horrifying as the days passed. To stop the Hayuya and Utuado uprisings, he ordered P-47 Thunderbolt warplanes to bomb them, leveling 70% of the mountain towns. Um, and to spell it out more clearly, the U.S., the United States, the U.S. government had bombed their own citizens. The, and, and this was all directed by the, the first elected Puerto Rican governor of Puerto Rico, Luis Munoz Marin, just to make that clear. And the next order of business, the next thing he do, does is to frighten the population with a wave of arrests. And it was time, in his mind, his calculations were, it was time to send a message that if anyone ever tried to do a revolution again, the price they would pay would be grave. Over the next, three, uh, next few days, 3,000 nationalists and cadets of the Republic were arrested. Also arrested were people who were not nationalists but had families who were or were suspected to be with no evidence. Some of the people who were arrested were children. One child was only eight years old, and some Hibados were even kidnapped right out of their fields by the National Guard. Don Pedro was sentenced to 80 years in prison, and he served his time in, in a dungeon called La Princesa. And during these, time, this, these years where he was imprisoned, he was subjected to radiation experiments. And even though Don Pedro insisted he was slowly being killed by radiation, Munoz Marin openly mocked him and spread pop propaganda about Don Pedro, saying he was mentally ill and insane. Um, he said uh, all this despite the there were clearly visible signs that Don Pedro w w was, was experience ra experiencing radiation poisoning. And of course, 40 years after Don Pedro's death, uh, the FBI files were released under the F Freedom of Information Act, and they not only showed that Don Pedro was being subjected to radiation experiments, but also that Munoz Marin was complicit. He knew exactly what was happening, and he basically spread propaganda to try to cover it up. So I just wanted to say that as well. Um, that, you know, he is implicated in what happened there and uh, he, he knew exactly what was going on. In 1953, he was pardoned by Munoz Marin and the entire, Munoz Marin's entire motivation for pardoning Abisu Campos is apparent because he wanted people to think that he was crazy, that he was imagining his symptoms and he wanted to basically uh, discredit him. So he thought that by basically pardoning him, he could try to, he actually appeared on U.S. television and basically tried to make it seem as if Abisu Campos was just insane and making all these things up. He also falsely called Abisu Campos a communist. Again, this was total propaganda because uh, he ne Abisu Campos never aligned himself with any communist ideology.
Um, and at, at one point in this interview that Munoz Marin did with Drew Pearson, he's basically they're basically laughing and ridiculing Abisu Campos because the only way that he could get a little bit of relief from these radiation attacks was by using uh, wet towels to at least provide some you know some relief from that excruciating pain. And they would laugh at him. And there's actually an interview clip which I'm going to play right now so that you can actually hear. Munoz Marin incriminating himself because it's it's apparent in this clip that his motivation is to discredit Abisu Campos to make him seem as if he's insane. So we're going to hear that clip of Luis Munoz Marin talking to Drew Pearson in 1954 about Abisu Campos right now. Now, Governor, another question some people have asked me, this Nash's leader, Albizo Campos. I understand he was in jail and you commuted his sentence last summer. He was in jail, condemned by the courts of Puerto Rico through jury trial, as uh, our law uh, provides, because of his participation in the, this uh, movement of violence that we have been referring to back in October 1950. I pardon him uh, conditional to his not attempting to overthrow the government by violence, uh, I, I did. I pardoned him uh, under these conditions about uh, six months ago, <clears throat> because of his uh, advancing age, of his ill health, and because, under democratic conditions, a man like that in jail can organize his plans as easily as out of jail, but with the advantage of appearing to be a martyr. He had become a martyr to the people of the Caribbean. To, the, to his few followers and the propaganda all over Latin America, uh, largely uh, pushed by the communists, was to the effect that he was trying to liberate Puerto Rico uh, from oppression and that therefore he was being jailed for that reason. I thought it would clarify things if he were let out. Also, his mental state was... Uh, uh, was not good. He, uh, he spent the, all the time wrapped in cold towels uh, saying that uh, some mysterious machines were throwing nuclear rays at him from a great distance. And uh, uh, since it would be unbelievable that anybody believed that, if he were locked up and nobody could see him, uh, I, I thought that if he were outside of the jail, people would realize how his mind was operating, and he would be able to get, get less young people, even less than he has uh, in this terrible state of mind that we observed here recently. Does he still wear the cold towels now that he's out of jail? Oh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he lives in a house about four or five blocks from where I live, and uh, all my information is that he continues to wear the cold he towels. He wears the cold towels to prevent the atomic rays from coming from the United States to kill him. That's right, and uh, you can see you can see how fantastic this whole thing is when you uh, think of a government that would prepare such an incredible machine to uh, burn up this important personage. Uh, they never thought of applying it to Joe Stalin, and also they never thought of taking the cold towels away from him when he was in jail. So now that he's out of jail, he still wears the cold towels. So there we heard that clip. Um, of Munoz Marin incriminating himself. Um, and so I, I'll continue the story now. Munoz Marin's last term as governor ended in 1965. He actually served four terms. After that, after he had served four terms, they actually enacted a 
two-term limit on governors in Puerto Rico. Um, in 1970, he was reelected as a member of the Puerto Rican Senate, and he, he resigned that same year, actually, and moved to Italy. Uh, two years later, he returned to Puerto Rico and started writing an autobiography. And in 1976, he had a severe stroke and was, was unable to walk, speak, or read. Four years later, on April 30th, 1980, he died at the age of 82. You know, I think... Pedro Campos said it best. He says, quote, For the past 50 years, the United States has been at war with Puerto Rico. They steal our land, sterilize our women, inject us with cancer and tuberculosis. They find traitors to rule over us, parasites who live by robbing their own people, hiding in castles where they drug themselves with morphine and drink rum constantly. And, you know, I think that, first of all, that perfectly describes... Uh, Buñoz Marín and what it, what exactly happened there because he was he 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 betrayed his own people and he 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 he, he it sold out the entire his people and the entire island and that is that is in a nutshell right there exactly what happened and if we look back in history a motif that we see so often is that of betrayal you know, many battles wouldn't have been won if it weren't for a person of weak character and greedy nature. Race, class, and color are not what defines good and bad, honest and dishonest, loyal or betray- loyalty or betrayal. Those are qualities that are simply deeply ingrained into a person's spirit. For every principled hero, there will be a traitor willing to sell out just for material gain. Abisu Campos was one of those selfless heroes who gave everything for his people, and Munoz Marin was simply one of those traitors. Don Pedro once said, Courage is all that makes it possible for a man to step firmly and calmly through the shadows of death. And it is when a man passes serenely through the shadows of death that he enters immortality. With that in mind, it must be true that Luis Munoz Marin never entered nor will ever enter immortality. With that, I'm going to leave you with a song, another one from Davelita. Here is Sueño de Libertad. And until next time, keep dancing, keep honoring your ancestors. Con mucho, mucho cariño. Chao, mi gente. Soñé que en el cielo se formó Tres
triste despertar, qué amarga realidad, el cielo estaba triste, las nubes se movían lentamente y el pobre Kibarito no cantaba, mi patria no era libre, mi sueño me engañaba. Que tu patria mía seas libre y feliz Aunque por ti yo muera Aunque muera por ti Tú mi morinca en bella Serás libre y Keep dancing, keep honoring your ancestors con mucho, mucho cariño. Ciao, mi gente. If you like that show, please don't hesitate to reach out to me and leave me a voice message on Anchor. There is a link up in the description. You can also reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Voice of the Water Lily or check out my blog, voiceofthelily.water.blog. You can leave me a message on any of those platforms. Um, and please reach out. Let me know what you think of the show. If you have any suggestions, song requests, or anything, please reach out to me. And um, also, if I got something wrong and you want to correct me, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, and uh, until next time, ciao.